Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcasts of the Running Head Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, in the tradition of throwing curveballs, when you're expecting fastballs, um, we before we got on, we were just talking about your Cincinnati Reds. So, Dylan, you seem very, you seem very proud. If you were going to start, if you had to keep one, and I'm making you choose, which one are you keeping, Castellanos or Winker? Man, this is tough um, because... Listen, I've been a Winker guy for years. You can comb through the Twitter. I called this all-star come out years ago. And he he sucked early in his career. I could just tell. I could tell, though. He's got a great body for power. Like, he's got a nice plate appearance. You know, I I just – I felt it. And this year, he's finally come out. Um, And I've liked Castellano since he was on the Tigers. Like, he's been killing it for years. And as soon as the Reds got him, I was I was really excited. But I I think just because Winker's like a homegrown guy, I got to stick with him. But I'm I'm very happy to have both of them. You know, it's it's hard when you your team has suddenly fallen into a ton of talent, as has mine. I haven't been paying attention to the White Sox as much as I should be. But man, I t- I told Dylan before the call. I hope the. Uh, I hope both teams make the pennant, and I hope the Reds lose to the White Sox. So we got a lot of NBA to talk about. Um, let's start real quick. I, we didn't talk about this pre-show, but we should talk about it now. Um, Kawhi. Kawhi's going to – he had a, a partial tear in his ACL, which we kind of all thought was what went wrong. But he's going to be out for the rest of the uh, – for probably most of next season, if not all of it. Um, the Clippers are in a little bit of a bind here, Dylan if Kawhi can't play at all next year. Um, I mean, not even, like, ignoring all, like, the free agency possibilities that Kawhi could get himself into, all the salary cap machinations. Just, like, do you consider trading Paul George? Do you just, like, okay, we're going to take a year, hope he comes back in 2022-23? Like, what do you do if you're the Clippers? Like, what are you considering right now? Well, first of all, I think ACL is kind of like a nine-month injury at this point. So, I mean, I'm not going to say all cases are the same, but I probably would guess he's not going to miss the entirety of next season. But if he does, it gets interesting because I want to say they're both free agents after next year. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but either way, time is ticking. Well, I mean, I guess it depends what what Kawhi does this time around. But, I mean, Kawhi seems like the one-and-done type of guy at this point. He's kind of following that LeBron path um, that LeBron had in Cleveland. So, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, in the West, Paul George is not going to get you much, you know, on your on his own. And we already said they're going to lose Reggie Jackson. You know, if they get Kyle Lowry, obviously that changes things. But the way this landscape's looking for the NBA right now, like it's going to be a trading frenzy. And trading Paul George could set you up, you know, much better for the for the following three or so years after this upcoming one. So it's it's worth considering, especially considering like outside of Kawhi and Paul George, as we've seen in the playoffs, there's not a 
ton of, you know, upcoming potential. Yeah, like, if they want to trade Paul George, like, if you're the Hawks, wouldn't you call up with, like, Reddish and be like, here, take Reddish and Gallinari back, and you can have, you know, and we'll take Paul George off your hands. Like, there's a lot of different ways you could go. Um, Just for the record, Paul George did sign an extension, so he's going to be in L.A., I think, till the 20... I'd say the 2027 season. I'm not sure exactly when his contract expires. I'll look that up. But he's going to be there for a good while because I think he signed a four-year extension. So I think the 2026 season, if I had to guess, um, I'm filibustering, filibustering. Let's see. Contract. He is signed until 2025. He has a player option in 2425. So you got Paul George for a while. So, I mean, if there's any time to trade him, I guess now's the time. But, I mean... I'm pretty concerned if I'm the Clippers if I'm going to be 100% honest. Like, this is a bad, a bad injury. And Kawhi's have had a lot of um, injury issues over his career. This is, like, probably the defining thing of his career. When he's healthy, he's a brilliant basketball player. But he just has, like, he's, for the last five years, he really hasn't been able to see the court as much as you'd like. And I think I'd be concerned on that front, like, how many more years of Kawhi like could we possibly get at this point? Like, I would be shocked if we got five more good years out of Kawhi. Yeah, he seems to get nicked up a lot now, and this is obviously more than being nicked up. But uh, I don't know. You know, part of me also thinks that getting a you know a year off of basketball could help prolong his career. I mean, there's different ways you could look at it. Like sometimes taking time off to get healthy can be really good and you know of course we said the same thing about lebron with his back injuries a couple years ago and that has definitely not been the case of course lebron's much older but i don't think that time off helped him uh bat off future injuries so much so you know we'll see like Kawhi is still fairly young like he's not young but he's not super old either he's kind of in that prime range so, yeah, I mean, we're probably going to see a small tail off starting soon. But I don't know. I still don't think his game relies on athleticism to the point where he's going to be super hindered by, like, lower body injuries, um, kind of like we've talked about with KD this year. So we'll see. I mean, he relies on strength a lot, like just skill. Um, so we'll see. I mean, these guys do a really good job of figuring a way around – their injuries and you know kind of molding their game and adapting it as they get older so we'll see i mean i wouldn't be shocked if he started to tail off but i wouldn't be shocked if he kind of powered through it either that's probably a good way to put it like i could see a scenario next year where it's kind of like remember you're a, you're a pacers fan so i know you'll remember this pretty much exactly but in 2015 when paul george snapped his leg and he came back with like 10 games left in the regular season i could see that happening with Kawhi here you know give him a little bit of time to get acclimated obviously 10 games isn't a whole lot but it should be enough to get Kawhi in shape if he's able to come back by then um spencer i saw a tweet from jeff stats at, at in street close where it's like spencer dinwiddie was just cleared to resume basketball activity and he had his surgery in january and it's july so i don't think so about nine months is about the reasonable estimation here eight to nine months and i would guess that nine months from now would be April so he'd be coming back like right before the playoffs if he comes back so 
I mean, who's to say? You know, maybe the Clippers preserve him next year. They keep him on ice. Just say, hey, come back in 22, 23. We'll see you then. But it's going to, I mean, let's just face it, Dylan. It's going to suck not having Kawhi this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a light way of putting it. I mean, like, we saw this year that, you know, in the playoffs, like, they they kept up without him. Obviously, I think they did better than most people expected, but if they had him, they'd probably be in the finals right now. So, you know, it's, it's a huge loss, and again, I think he's probably going to end up coming back before next season ends, unless the Clippers are just really far out of it, um, and it's not worth it, but... We'll see. I mean, either way, it's not a good thing. But, yeah, the Spencer Dinwiddie point is good. Like, And who knows how he would have looked coming back now. But, I mean, it's we talk about this a lot, but injuries treatment is getting so much quicker nowadays. They're just figuring out how to treat these ligament tears um, to the point where they're regenerating a lot more quickly. So, you know, year after year, it gets quicker and quicker. So, who knows? Kawhi could be back even sooner than April. Yeah, I mean, there's a world where, I mean, Jamal Murray completely tore his ACL. There's a world where he comes back, like, before January. I could see him being back by next December. I'm not going to count on it. But what you brought up is a good point where, like, these guys are coming back quicker than ever. I don't know. I want to see Kawhi play next year. Obviously, he's one of the, you know, one of my most fun players in the league. I know a lot of people don't feel the same way, but we're we're basketball purists here, Dylan. We, we appreciate greatness in all its forms. <laughs> But um, anything else to add on Kawhi before we move on to the finals? No, sir. I just I I am interested to see the the free agency, but I'd be kind of surprised if he left the Clippers at this point. Yeah, I would be surprised if he opted out. Frankly, just like try again next year. You know, yeah. he's gonna he's gonna make a lot of money no matter what. You know, I think the difference if he didn't if he opted in versus opted out would be like twenty some like twenty five million dollars, which is a lot. But the difference between 217 and the difference between 243, I mean, it's what it, it's to, to that. At that point? Unless exactly. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on to the finals. Um, since we last talked, the uh, the Bucks, like we predicted, ran up and made it. Uh, they tied up the series at 2-2. So they won game three convincingly 120 to 100 and they won game four in a i'd say classic i know other people wouldn't say classic 109 to 103 i think we're going to mostly talk about game four today but um just overall dylan i mean this is exactly how we saw it playing out right after the first two games we both were very high on the bucks after game two and they came back to milwaukee and they proved us right Yeah, I mean, role players are worse on the road. So, like, for both ways, you're going to have – I don't know what the actual number is, but you're going to have a swing points-wise where the Suns players aren't going to be as good on the road and the Bucks players are going to be better. So, you know, there's – that's just how the nature of basketball is in the playoffs. And, you know, obviously Giannis was just insane. I mean, back-to-back 40-point games is – relatively unheard of like those are guys that end up like first bout hall famers you know guys that can do that and i mean you know the defensive stuff he did in game four and i mean really i think the problem in game four was mostly that the suns just outside of booker had nothing and in the fourth quarter they were just terrible as a team overall even booker really so i mean 
this is why, uh, you know, I've been talking about Middleton a lot. And game four proved me perfectly correct that he's their most important player because of what he could do when it matters. Like, as good as Giannis is, I think Giannis is a better player when he's pushing the lead higher and higher. But when you need to close a team out or even make a small comeback, like a guy that can hit isolation shots like Middleton, like that's the guy that wins you a game. And I mean, he showed, you know, 14 points in that fourth quarter. And I'm not going to say he was bad up to that point because he came into the fourth quarter uh, with 26 points. But he was like shooting, I think, 40 percent at that point. Like he wasn't great. Um, And again, I don't want to harp on efficiency too much, but because if we're going to talk about efficiency, we can talk about Drew Holiday again. Um, But, you know, Middleton wasn't like outstanding. But in the fourth quarter, I mean, he shut the Suns down completely. I mean, he was, I mean, I'm not going to say he was the best player on the floor because we need to talk about Giannis on defense. Holy, I, like the Giannis's whole performance, really. But he was the guy that made the when you needed to make them. Like he was actually, I wanted to run this comparison by you. I think Chris Middleton's game has a lot of shades of Joe Johnson's game. Mm. I think like watching him I'm just like oh my god it's the kind of the same thing right where Middleton at one point in the game he hit like that really low to the ground crossover into a pull up right that's like the Joe Johnson special right there and his game I honestly think we would analyze Joe Johnson the same way we analyze Chris Middleton now Uh, like 100% but he stepped up and he made the buckets when they needed him most. Like he did, he make the. Uh, I think he made the one that made it one hundred one or ninety nine ninety nine at the in the uh, last minute. And then I think he made the layup to make it one hundred one ninety nine. Or was that Giannis? I think that might have been Giannis. After <laughs> I don't remember. Booker got, had eight fouls in this game or something. Like he got away with like <laughs> three extra fouls after he should have fouled out, but. Middleton just stepped up exactly when they needed him to and he wasn't efficient but they needed him I honestly think he should take 30 shots every game like when he's forcing the issue he's gonna make pretty close to 45% of them and that's what you need I think he needs to I think if he doesn't take 33 shots like not 33 but if he takes like 25 shots he's gonna make 10 of them and that's what you need and I think that he needs to be more aggressive back in Phoenix yeah, and again, Drew Holiday going four of twenty like that is gonna kill them. They, I would much rather have Middleton shooting. I'd rather have Middleton shoot forty shots a game if it keeps Drew Holiday to like ten because Drew Holiday's offense has just been really bad in this finals. And again, with just a bunch of left-handed layups he's missing, I don't, I don't understand how. There was one in particular where he was like right at the basket, wasn't a ton of defensive pressure and just missed it. And like those kind of shots are going to kill them. So it's becoming clear that this is like a Middleton and Giannis team on offense. And again, Drew is a great ball handler and a great passer and a great defender. Like put him in the position where he can do all that stuff really well and then not really shoot much. Because when he's shooting jumpers and left-hand layups, it's just, a, it's just, you know, 30% of the time it may work out. But that you don't want 30% opportunities. You want, you know, 50, 60% opportunities. So that's, 
that's just going to be a problem if if Holiday goes back to Phoenix and you know stinks it up again. Give the ball to Giannis. Give it to Middleton, and hell, give it to Connaughton at this point. Like Connaughton has really stepped up. So, I think that's that's the key. Is just you know, give the ball to your two best players. Let Holiday kind of you know fill in the the cracks and and your gravy. I thought oh, this is gives me the perfect opportunity to talk about Giannis because you're right. Holiday had a weird game, but Giannis didn't have it going on offense. I I think we need to devote a special section of the podcast to the defense. But Giannis didn't have it going on offense, but he still finished with eight assists, right, in 26 points. Like, he was doing so much work off ball. He was doing so much work passing, creating open shots. Like, I, if I had to guess, he probably had, like, a potential to get, like, 12 or 13 assists in the game. Like, he was doing really, really good stuff off of passing. And, you know, when Holiday doesn't have it going, it, you know... Theoretically, if Giannis didn't have it going like he did in in game four, then the Sun should win. But Giannis did, I felt like Giannis did so much to help aid his lack of production in game in game four. What do you, what do you think about that? Like, do you think that Giannis stepped up his game in that regard? Yeah, I mean, you know, Giannis cannot score 40 points every game. Like, there's going to be games where he has to kind of facilitate more and set other guys up. And something I've noticed is the Suns have just collapsed on him so much in the paint. There's going to be games where they're going to have to take advantage of that and get other guys going. Because when you have three or four guys focus on one guy in the paint, that's a lot of guys that are standing on the perimeter wide open. And there's just some some games, and we've talked about this with Steph, we've talked about it with Trey Young, where – when a defense just overloads on one guy, that gives you the perfect opportunity to move the ball a bit more and facilitate and set other guys up. And, you know, there's games like this one where, you know, Giannis isn't the complete central point at all times, uh, despite the defensive attention. Like they've they've taken advantage of that overload on defense and spread the ball out a bit more. And that's that's what's tough for this Phoenix defense is they really have to pick their poison and and some of the games it's worked out where Middleton and Holiday suck and the Bucks have no option but to go into Giannis and it doesn't matter who how many people are guarding him he's got to try to get points um, and obviously when he has it going it works out really well for the Bucks but if you know that, that that's the problem with the Suns going forward is like what do they do and especially with their lack of bigs now they really have to pick where their defensive attention goes, and they have to swallow uh, or take the bullet somewhere. It's either going to be Giannis or Middleton or someone else, but it's it's a major pick-your-poison situation. And the Bucks haven't really had to face that same of a problem because Chris Paul, uh, like one of their big guys, is bad every game. It's Chris Paul was Chris Paul and Aiden were both not great on offense this past game. You know, Booker has had his shortcomings, like. The, the Suns have kind of given away um, the who the Bucks need to focus on on defense, and the Suns haven't or the Bucks haven't done it as much. Yeah, it's a really good point about the Suns guys not all being there at the same time. I mean, it took Mikhail Bridges putting in twenty seven for them to win by ten in Game Two, right? And then in Game Three, Aiton is the only one 
because Chris Paul had, you know, decent numbers, but... Aiton was really the only one that stepped up in game three. And then in game four, like you said, Devin Booker was an all-time performance. We'll talk about Book later, but... Yeah, if Chris and Dylan, here's the thing. I don't see how Chris Paul's gonna really get better. He's looked really bad. I did some uh, I did some amateur number crunching uh, yesterday, so I was curious. Do you know what Chris Paul's career assist-to-turnover ratio is? <laughs> Uh, like eight probably. It's it's four to one, four to one. In these finals, it's two to one. Mm. Like he has been throwing the ball all over the place, and I'm not gonna be honest. Drew Holiday deserves a lot of credit. Like his offense was awful, right? But Drew's defense and Giannis's defense. Well, again, Giannis's defense deserves its own its own segment but Drew's defense man he's doing such a good job on Chris Paul like he's shutting him down and if Chris Paul shut down they can't win if Chris Paul doesn't show up in these next three games like they're gonna need him to show up at least once to win (laughs) to win twice you know what I mean yeah and like I had the fourth quarter numbers for that game up by the way really a really tough offensive game overall to watch (laughs) I mean Mm -hmm. until that fourth quarter like the Bucks stepped on it a bit but man, it was like, I mean, we're in the low 100s for this game. Like that is pretty uncommon for this kind of point in basketball. But Chris Paul played all 12 minutes, two of five, two turnovers, four points, and two assists. I mean, like he just wasn't, like those are the moments where Chris Paul steps up. And those are the moments where like he beat the Clippers in the third quarter. Uh, There was a game in this series in Phoenix where Chris Paul stepped it up and closed the Bucks out. Like they need him to be that guy. And as good as Book was, like that fourth quarter, I think he was just gassed out, man. Like he was he was so good all game and he had to majorly carry them offensively. And he he only played seven minutes in the fourth. He was two of six. So like, you know, if Booker's gonna tire out by the end of the game, it's gotta be Chris Paul. They have they don't have anyone else that can create shots to that level. I mean, Cam Johnson and Jake Crowder were their leading scores in the fourth. You know, that that is not going to get it done. Those are the only two guys who showed up both games. And I'm not joking. Like, you, they wasted... Like, Dylan, we know this, right? What's the Jake Crowder experience? The Jake Crowder experience is he's going to shoot six or seven from 3-1 game, and the next game he's going to be one for nine, right? You got two good Jake Crowder games in a row. That... Other than the bubble, that hardly ever happens. Like, even in these playoffs, it's hardly happened, right? And you wasted those two Jay Crowder games. And now, like, yeah, Bridges will be better in Phoenix, I'm sure, right? I don't know how much better Cam Johnson can get. I thought he was really good in Milwaukee, right, for a for a second-year player. I know he's only 25, but this is still only his second year in the league. I thought Cam Johnson was really good. But campaign hasn't been there. He hasn't done anything since he's gotten hurt, since he went down in the in the conference finals and then Torrey Craig God bless him if the Nuggets like this is my thing with Torrey Craig right if the Nuggets wanted to keep him they would have kept him just plain and simple like he's good but he's a minimum guy right and relying on him to play 18 minutes a game I, it's just not going to work out for you. And Saric, Saric was an offensive threat, right? He could do so many different things with the basketball. And I think, yeah, they're missing having an actual backup big man out there. But I think they're missing having an offensive threat out there as well because they don't—they just don't have any offensive threats right now. Yeah, and I'll say this about Torrey Craig. 
because everyone's been giving him props this year. And like everyone thought that the Milwaukee signing was like this major deal. And everyone thought that, you know, the Phoenix pickup was going to be great. And I mean, I think it's worked out well, like I'm not going to bash that, but he was awful in last year's playoffs. Awful. He was horrible for the majority of those playoffs. Like the Nuggets made it to the conference finals and Craig basically played no part in it. Like at least on offense. I mean, his offense was just horrible. He like, took the worst reason- layup we've ever seen. Yeah. He I almost mean, there blew was- them the first round against the Jazz. Yeah. I, like, like you said, there was a reason they didn't bring him back. Like he was really bad. And I'm still surprised they picked him over Malik Beasley. Um, is basically what it comes down to. But, you know, again, like really surprised that he came back. Like game three, I was legitimately like shocked because I didn't pay attention to the injury report before the game. And I saw that 12 out there. I'm like, what the fuck? That can't be Tory Craig. We're talking about this dude like having to get a damn surgery and he's playing the next day. Um, so, you know, again, they can't really rely on him anyway. Like, they shouldn't be relying on him. And Sarich, like, I've been talking all year about how what I love about the Suns is that on both ends of the floor, they just flow so well. And I think that's why it's been so hard to uh, score on them and so hard to defend them is because they're just so interconnected. And, again, I give Chris Paul a lot of credit for that. And a guy like Sarich really plays a big, bigger role in that than it may seem like because – He's a floor spacing five. Like in those Clippers uh, games, I mean, he would literally have six points and it would just spur a huge run for the for the Suns. Like six points. He would hit three, two threes, and that was enough to really unlock everyone else. And like he was a, a strong defender down low too. So even though he's a small five, I mean, he is really strong. So like he can he can give big guys a tough, you know, time down low. So that injury, I think, hurt them a lot more than people may have expected. Um, and yeah, like we've talked about their injuries already, but it's you know, we talked about this exact thing last week. Like this is really putting the focus on these top guys now. And if you have one or two of them not show up, it puts a bunch of pressure on role players on the road. And that's going to put you in a position to lose very easily and think about it right Aiden's gonna have to play 45 minutes a game the next three games right if it goes three there's a like the way that Chris Paul played in the last two games and I'm sure he'll bounce back at home but he didn't play great in game two either like there's a realistic shot the Bucks can win in six I don't think they will because this Bucks team is like I call them bad good like they have a lot of bad tendencies but they somehow win basketball games but like you need your stars to step up right Jake Crowder stepped up hell if they win last night or if they win on Wednesday we're recording this on Friday it'll be out on Friday Jake Crowder had 15 points eight rebounds three assists three steals three blocks right when does Jake Crowder I know I brought up the shooting performance he only shot three of nine when does he put up those numbers Right? Like, when does he get three blocks? When does he get three assists? I mean, three assists is actually kind of common for Jake Crowder. But you need Chris Paul to step up. And I don't know, like, he's not really a a 45-minute-a-night kind of guy. Obviously, he only played 37 minutes in game game four. Um, You need him. You need all those guys to play probably, like, 
45 minutes and i don't know if aiden's capable of that right like this is where my questions about aiden my new question about aiden isn't whether he can stay on the floor we've seen him do that for 95 percent of these playoffs right we saw him do it in game four I need to see if he can withstand playing 46 minutes a game, right? That's going to, and listen, it's a hard task. Like we saw Jimmy Butler. Remember what Jimmy Butler did after game five against the Lakers last year, when he was draped over the, like, you know, whatever that, like the stanchion or whatever that was, whatever he was draped over, like he was fucking exhausted. And that's going to be, and you're going to be playing one of those games in Milwaukee. Like, I don't know, Dylan, I think the Suns, as crazy as it sounds, they have a really tall task ahead of them unless they kind of right the ship. Yeah, I mean, like, they have to set the tone in game five or it's probably over because the momentum is unquestionably in Milwaukee's favor right now. And the Suns have to take advantage of being home and having that advantage. Because if they drop it, I have a really tough time seeing them going back to Milwaukee with all the problems they already have and somehow pulling that one out to bring it back to a game seven. And like, I don't know if you saw the stat anywhere, Dylan, but people, I saw Zach Lowe say on cleaning the glass, cleaning the glass had Phoenix getting 18% of their shots at the rim in game four and 53% of their shots were in the mid range. Mm. Like that formula is not going to, is not a winning formula because you don't get to. And here's the thing. Booker had a great game. We said this after game two. We didn't think he was going to shoot as well in game three. And we were right. There's a good chance Booker doesn't shoot as well again in game five. And they don't get to the rim. This is, I think they should, as crazy as it sounds, I know I just said they should probably play Chris Paul 45 minutes. I would probably play campaign more. At least he tries to get to the rim. You know what I mean? Like, I think that campaign would help their rim issues a lot because they just don't get anything going downhill. Their whole goal is to try to get... Bud... <laughs> Bud's played a hell of a trick on the Suns. Because, you know, the whole thing is like, oh, the mid-range is back, you know? We have Chris Paul and uh, Devin Booker. But Bud has kind of tricked them into being like, okay, you can have all your shots from the mid-range. We're going to take away your corner threes. We're going to take away your paint shots. And to be fair, they didn't get to the paint in the regular season either. But... We're going to take away all your corner threes, and now you're just going to have to live in the mid-range. And I think, Dylan, is this Bud's best coaching move he's ever done? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've talked shit on him all year, and he's really in the playoffs proving us wrong. Or proving us right, because he's done everything we've told him to do, basically. Um, but, I mean, the thing about taking corner threes away is Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, and Cam Johnson to some extent – like a massive point of their game is gone. I mean, as much as I love Mikhail Bridges, he's very like he reaps a lot of benefits of playing off of two really good ball handlers and getting wide open corner threes. Like that is a big part of his game. And when you can take that away, and Jay Crowder's kind of the same, uh, I mean, again, you're limiting those role players, and that puts that much more pressure on Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And as you just said, like Devin Booker is probably going to tail off a bit in this next game, which means that Chris Paul and Aiden, like they've got to be in lockstep. Like we're attacking the rim hard. You know, we're going to set the tone early on because that's what they did in those first couple games, especially game two. I mean, Aiden was just, he had a masterful game. Like he was, he, the tone was set very early, got, got a lot of touches down low 
and it put the Bucks in a really tough spot. And we didn't see it last game. Like, I think there's just a certain certain guys in the league where you really have to get them going early. And Jay Crowder is one of those guys too, um, where you got to get them going early, or it's just not really going to happen that game. And if that tone isn't set, you're really fighting from you know the lower ground, and that makes it that much tougher, especially when you have guys that are tired and some of these guys that are older too. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I don't think Aiton played a horrible game last game. I thought he was actually pretty good. I think when he when Chris Paul struggles, he is the main not benefactor because benefactor implies something good happening. He's the main recipient of Chris Paul playing poorly. Like he just he needs to be set up. He's a traditional big in that way. And he's been great all playoffs, but he and he did have a couple bad misses in game 4. Right, like he had a couple where like Drew was guarding him or Connaughton was guarding him, and he took like you know he took layups instead of dunking it. That's if I had one criticism of Aiton is that he should just dunk more, <laughs> you know, try to go up and get fouled. But I mean, the whole playoffs he's been unimpeachable, right? Like through the first three rounds he was unimpeachable, and now we're we're spotting we're spotting some very small flaws. But the flaws can be massive in a series where Giannis. I think this is a good time to move on to Giannis. <laughs> Giannis on defense was just a fucking supernova, man. Like, holy shit, that might have been one of the best defensive games I've ever seen played. Like, he was all over the place. He was playing the five in the last couple minutes. That block, which, holy, I can't believe we didn't even mention the block yet. Like, Dylan, I I don't, we didn't talk to each other before. Like, we start, we knew each other during the 2019-20 season, right? So I didn't know how you felt about Giannis during the 2019 Eastern Conference Finals. But what have you seen that's different from Giannis than it was in 2019, if you remember? Well, I think the biggest thing is he's figured out how to kind of combat um, a defensive plan against him. And a lot of it is what we've been talking about all year is that he's just down low a lot more. Um, So... You know, the Bostons of the world that set these walls up against him and really took him out of his element, they've they've figured out a way around that because a lot of times, if he doesn't have the ball coming up the floor, he's the first guy to get down on the block and set up. And that makes life so much easier for him and for the whole offense because if you've watched him, and again, this is why I credit Bud because the past six weeks, I would say, both playoffs and end of the regular season, you can tell that Giannis is is leading the break without the ball a lot more. And so either he's getting an easy bucket down low or he's passing it to a wide-open shooter in transition. I mean, that's, that's offensive one-on-one. Like, that's how you make – life easier for everyone and they've just done that a lot more the pace has been up and again i think uh drew holiday being there has helped out a lot too i mean this is a team that should be running with with more pace because you have you have either with him or lopez like you have good chances to get early buckets with just good post positioning and if they don't do it you have a guy like chris middleton you know trailing that can hit an easy three like this is stuff that is really simple that's like just now getting implemented and it's giving them massive returns on offense. Um, and then part of it too is that Giannis is just not scared to get fouled anymore, which we talked a lot about. But he's realized, hey, you know, I may get fouled, I may get 18 free throw attempts this game, but I'm going to get 10 to 11 free points too. And, you know, 
the good thing about basketball is that there's only a certain amount of fouls you can have. And at some point, getting into the bonus and getting good, you know, defenders into foul trouble is going to hurt you. So I don't, and we saw last game, you know, and as you mentioned, Giannis wasn't as much of a focus, but he only, he only took eight free throws, which is much less than he's been doing. So, I mean, I, I think the Suns have realized like the, the hack-a-shack method is, is really hurting us because we're giving him free points at the line and we're hurting ourselves in the process by getting fouls. So I think Giannis kind of just um, recognizing his weaknesses. We haven't seen him shoot as many threes or as many uh, mid-range pull-ups. Like, he's just taken the really small uh, – I mean, they're not small problems, but he's basically taking them away from the defense where, you know, he, they can't use it against him as much. And that's just – allowed him to get a lot of easy points and it makes it much harder to defend their offense as a whole yeah that's that's a really good way to put it like this Giannis you know I brought up 90 10 players you know before I think I was talking about Russell Westbrook really Russ Russ is probably like a 75 25 player like looking on it now but I heard someone say Giannis is a 98 2 player and we focus on the two a lot right but he does everything else so well including on defense like he is just really a complete player and i think he's added like that little mid-range not the like you know long mid-range jumper just having any semblance of a mid-range jumper like a short one it's really opened up his whole game because now like i don't think phoenix has the capabilities of building the wall anyway like not that miami or toronto did not the same way i should say but this team <laughs> like the they can't guard him, right? It's plainly obvious. Like, they have three guys on him. Like, on one of the first possessions of the game, they get it to Giannis in the, like, on the lower foul circle, and he is swarmed by Bridges and Crowder and Aiton. <laughs> like, they have to do that because there's no other way to guard him at this point. And Giannis has such good court vision. Eight assists for the game. 5.5 assists for a game for the series. Like, he just is doing really good job with his IQ getting his teammates wide open shots and I, I love the way Giannis is playing like I think you know like you know the narrative around Michael Jordan was like oh you know it took him forever to win but then in year seven he finally put it all together and they beat the Lakers I don't think that's what happened with Michael Jordan but I do think that's what happened what's happening with Giannis like he's figuring it all out and if he's figuring it all out, this is going to be a problem, right? And this isn't like he's just doing this. He did this to the Heat, a team that's very good defensively, right? He did this to the Nets, a team that was very well capable of guarding him. He did this to the Hawks. Now he's doing it to the Suns. This isn't just like a, you know, five-game sample thing of like, oh, Giannis is... It's not what Luka Doncic has done, right? No disrespect to Luka. But he's done... He's had 13 games against the Clippers. Giannis is doing this across a whole postseason. He... I think... Dylan, I think it's safe to say... Giannis is at the like the cream of the crop right now. Like I don't think I was ready to say that before this postseason, but I think I'm ready to say Giannis is a top of the top player. Like I'm not gonna say best in the world, but he's I think Giannis has firmly cemented himself in that conversation. Yeah, I remember this may have been in the semifinals. We were texting as we do every week about our top 100 podcast that is gonna end up being the most hyped podcast we probably ever have at this point. Um but I was talking uh, – no, this must have been the first round because I was talking about Tatum and where Tatum ends up. And I was saying, man, I think Tatum is in like that Giannis and Kawhi range. Um, and you mentioned how you thought Giannis was, you know, 
very easily ahead of Kawhi. And I was like, man, I don't know if I agree with that. Like, I, I think I'd have Kawhi ahead of Giannis at this point. But after this run, I don't think it's a question anymore that Giannis is ahead of him. And and I'm excited for the season to end so I can, like, sit down. Because I wanted to wait for the playoffs to kind of cement um, my thoughts on guys and where they're going to end up. And, man, like, you know, I don't know where Giannis is going to end up at this point. Because, I mean, obviously, if they win the finals, like, he's going to be higher. You know, I don't I don't want it to hinge completely on that. But, I mean, he's definitely come up a few spots where I would have had him if, you know, they lost to Brooklyn or whatever. I mean, this, this playoff run has been huge for him because, I mean, having two MVPs in a title is like – very few guys are going to be able to do that. You know, like that puts you in a class with some of the best players ever and including over Kawhi, like as good as Kawhi's been, you know, there's, there's some stuff on the resume still missing. So what Giannis is doing right now is really catapulting his standing in the league. And again, I'm excited to sit down and figure out where he goes, but like, he's, he's going to jump some really good players. I had Giannis at seventh when I started out, and I'm not because I I did the opposite of you, right? Like I wanted to start with a baseline and then compare what my thoughts were at a given moment in time and then examine those. Right now, I have him at fourth, and I think because I I think I might have said Giannis is ahead of Kawhi after the first two Mavericks games, and then I promptly catapulted Kawhi back over Giannis, but. I, I think I might have Giannis over Kawhi. I don't think I can put him over Stephen Katie, but I'm putting him in like the upper echelon, man. He's over LeBron. He jumped LeBron. Mm-hmm. Like, I have LeBron at fifth right now. I never would have thought coming into the. Like, I thought, okay, maybe Jokic would catapult his way into the top four. I thought maybe, you know, Embiid might. No, it's Giannis. And of course it is, right? Like, we should have seen this coming. But he just is ridiculous on both sides of the basketball, right? Like, I don't know how he does it. That fourth quarter he had, I sent you that Twitter clip of him just shutting down like three, four Suns possessions in a row on defense, guarding the pick and roll. And I mean, I think now's a good time to talk about the block, right? Like, holy shit. Like, I was like just in complete awe when he blocked that shot. Like, I don't know how he goes from the free throw line guarding Devin Booker to the rim and beats DeAndre Ayton there and gets it clean. He doesn't foul him at all. Like, I'm not going to ask you to compare it to the 2016 block, right? That's not fair to Giannis. If different stakes, all that, I don't think it was better, and I'm not going to assume you think it's better. But here's a here's a block for you that I think could compare it. And it's, a, it's from LeBron. It's the one he had on Tiago's splitter. Mm. I think that, you know, the like similar stakes, you know, just completely shut down at the rim, half court. Like, I think that that block, and obviously it's different. I just don't know how he did it, recovering on a pick and roll like that. Like, I just, I, that shouldn't be possible, Dylan. I know, that was like a major mouth, like drop, jaw drop type of thing. Because, I mean, like DeAndre Aiden is a massive guy. Like, he was up in the air with the ball. Like, that ball was probably eight, feet in the air at least I mean it was probably close to 10 actually and Giannis did like a a two-step motion basically like he turned his body and then didn't even really jump that much 
his arms are just so damn long. And as you said, cleanly gets the ball. I mean, it was like, it was such a smooth block that I don't know, maybe 4% of humanity could even accomplish. Like you have to have the perfect mix of height, length, and, and balance and skill to be able to make that play without fouling. And like to have the perfect timing, I mean, it was like shocking. And I think what made it so cool is that it wasn't this really cool, like crazy, exciting block. It was just like so simple, but it was so complex at the same time and the difficulty of it. Like 2016, you know, LeBron having the closing speed to catch up, like that's not shocking to us, you know? It's not shocking that, you know, Andre Goodall had his back to LeBron. He didn't know he was coming. LeBron is an incredible athlete, very quick. And like it was it was a really exciting block because it was transition and it was like an easy layup turned, you know, block. Like it was it was just a shocking moment and like in the heat of the moment, incredibly exciting, obviously. And it'll definitely go down as one of the greatest like plays ever. But Giannis's block was just so subtle almost. Like it it didn't seem like there was much to it. And yet the complexity to actually pull that off is just still amazing. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Like, I'm sure you saw the slow motion replay, right? Where that ball's hanging in the air for like, obviously it's not very long. When you're watching the slow motion, you're like, oh my God, this this uh, ball's in the air forever. Like, how is he going to catch up to it? And he does. Like, you said 4% of humanity could do that. I don't think 4 I think, like, maybe 0.04% of humanity could do that. <laughs> we saw one of the humans that can do that. You know, I, the other guy I think could maybe pause. Two guys. Okay, three guys. Obviously, Anthony Davis. Then I could see Ben Simmons, and I could see Bam pulling it off. That's about it, right? Like, you ha- need to have the combination of IQ... <laughs> And you need to have the combination of you need the you need the IQ and you need the like fucking just outrageous athleticism. And those four guys are probably the 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 guys about that. But I mean, just what a I can't believe that block happened. It saved the game. It saved the series. If they win the series, I mean, like what we don't see the Kyrie shot more than we see the LeBron block, right? That. Giannis block, I think, will have the same effect, even if it wasn't game four. They like that might have been a series changing block, right? And we saw we saw in game two of the uh the of the Clippers series. How did they win? And they an alley oop. <laughs> it's funny that Giannis just stuffed the shit out of stuff the shit out of Aiden at the rim. And it was I don't think it was a perfect lob by Booker, but it was gonna get there, right? Like I've seen some people criticizing the lob, and I'm like, no, the lob was fine. Right? Like, he caught it. He was going to... Again, 99 times out of 100, Aiden can dunk that. No problem. (laughs) He just met the 1 in 100 times. You know, I'll just say, the reason I said 4% is because... Look at Joel Embiid. Okay. How How many Joel Embiid's are in Cameroon or Africa or Europe right now that just don't have the resources to play basketball? Like, I think... I, I have a guy that I used to work with that had the best saying ever that uh, there's a lot of Michael Jordan's locked up right now. You know, there's a there's so many people on this planet that just have insane talent and it because of circumstance, it never happens. So that's why I'm saying four percent. OK, it, it, it definitely could be less than that still. But 
I think there's a surprising amount of people out there that actually have that ability. But either way, it's a very small amount. <laughs> well, I'll add to my list of four. I'll add Embiid out of respect, even though I don't think he's his athleticism has certainly waned in his time in the NBA. No, I'd Pascal Siakam to that. I think he could probably pull it off. But like, I mean, even then, I doubt their chances. But just and I, I saw to go back to the mindset thing because I was I brought up Ben Simmons and I'm sure you saw those Scottie Pippen comments making their rounds a couple weeks ago. But the one thing he said that stood out to me is like, okay. Scotty is a thousand percent right on this was the comment where he was like the difference between Ben Simmons and Giannis and he was talking about free throws but this applies to the end of the game as well the difference between Giannis and Ben Simmons is that Giannis ain't afraid of getting humiliated right Giannis was not scared to get dunked on and that's what we want from our athletes like and it's why we criticize Ben Simmons so much. He was scared to get fouled. It's You've been killing him, right? He was scared. I don't know how he's scared to dunk, but he is. Giannis, if he was in that same spot on the baseline, wide open, he's not passing that to Matisse Thybul. He's not, unless he's being triple teamed. He's not doing that. He understands, okay, this is a free two points. And I, this is not a, me trying to dig at Ben Simmons, but more so lauding Giannis. Like, just that fearlessness he plays with, like, he just deserves so much credit for not being scared of getting dunked on at all. Yeah. I see so many guys on the internet that talk about how, um, if they were in a certain position where they could either let a guy dunk or try to block it, they would let, they would let the guy dunk. I'm like, that's why you're not in the NBA because scared money. Don't make money, baby. You, you care about being embarrassed so much that you're going to give someone a free two points. I mean, that's that's like some cowardly shit right there. So that that's just another good example of why so many few people make the league because of stuff like that. Like you're too worried about being embarrassed when you're going to give up points. You know, NBA teams don't care if you get posterized. They care if you give up points. So, I mean, that's that's a good point. And yeah, like Simmons, Simmons had an easy two points and he he passed it on. And Giannis, as you said, First of all, Giannis is going to have three guys guarding him, but still, he's going up with it. And, you know, that's, again, that's the difference between players like that. And that's why there's such a hard line between certain players in the league. Look at the shots Dame takes. Look at the shots Steph Curry takes. You know, look at the shots Trey Young takes. These, look at the passes that Russell Westbrook takes or makes. You know, like there's, there's risk. You got to take a risk. And if you're not willing to fail and be embarrassed, like you're not going to make, you're not going to become one of those top tier guys. And there's a very hard line between the guys that take the risk and the guys that don't. And right now in the playoffs, we've seen, you know, there's the Simmons of the world and there's the Giannis of the world and Giannis is contending for finals. So that's, you know, that's where it can get you if you're not afraid. Scared money don't make money. Uh, a favorite quote of your favorite general manager, Sam Presti. I, I feel like I wanted to point that out, but um, he's 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 a little bit not scared enough. I think is his problem. Well, he's he's scared to keep Hamadou Diallo, Dylan Hughes. He's scared to. But apparently, man. Apparently, I feel like we've touched on just about. I feel like we touched about all. Let's talk about Booker's performance. That third quarter. 
he was doing indescribable things with the Bucks. Like, that was maybe one of the best quarters of basketball I've ever seen. And you're right, he ran out of gas. We should give him his flowers, though. Like, what a fucking performance from Devin Booker. Just, like, he put it all on the line. They lost. And obviously, you know, him getting into foul trouble, getting that fifth foul on P.J. Tucker was pretty dumb. But other than that, he played a pretty unimpeachable game to me, at least. I mean, yeah. Like, we were just talking about game two maybe being his best game ever. And then he comes out with this. Like, I don't want to say this is his best game ever, but, I mean, he really put them on his back offensively. And, yeah, the third quarter, I mean, 7 of 7, 18 points. No other stats to speak of, which is kind of funny. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I mean, like, he was – he was insane, and he was the reason why they were staying in it. I mean, they shot 70% that quarter, and only two other guys made shots. So, I mean, that kind of speaks to, to the quarter. Uh, so, Or three other guys, sorry. But, I mean, he, he really carried them. And, yeah, fourth quarter was tough. Again, I, he just ran out of gas. But, uh, I mean, he's a huge reason they're here. And I just I hope he doesn't completely fall off the wagon in game five, because I really wouldn't be shocked if he does. I wouldn't be shocked either. And if he does, I just don't like the way Chris Paul has been looking. I really don't. I think he's looked really bad in games in game three in game game three and four. Really, he's looked bad other in every game other than game one in this series. I mean, Chris Paul's got a lot of laudits in these playoffs. But other than the Nuggets series, he's had like maybe five good games. Right, and I shouldn't take away from the Nugget series because he completely destroyed Campazzo and uh, Austin Rivers, but he was—he's had like maybe five good games the whole playoffs, and two of those, and one of those came in the elimination game. So I can't knock him for that, right? But I, I just feel like if Chris Paul keeps playing like this, and it's—I don't think this is just okay. Chris Paul's gonna go home and bounce back. It's Chris Paul, right? He did that in game six on the road he did it in los angeles right he did he swept the nuggets in denver he's not just some guy that's gonna go he's not a guy that's subject to home road variants right chris middleton god love him he's pretty subjected to uh, home road variants right same with drew holiday although drew's been <laughs> there's not been much variance in drew holiday's <laughs> stat lines in these playoffs but i don't think chris paul is just like okay you know, he's going to go back home. He's going to be fine. I feel like there's a real chance he struggles again. Yeah. And that's why this game, this game is like, I think whoever wins this game probably wins the series. I mean, it, it really gives you a massive advantage. Um, I think the Suns need to win it the most. Cause I think the, the bucks, I just trust them more to win two straight if they have to, which is a wild statement, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like, I think I trust their roster more at this point, and which is also a wild statement to say. And I mean, they just showed us the past two games; like they knew they had to win two straight, and they did. So, I, I think I trust them more, and that's why I picked them in seven from the start. Um, so I think the Suns have to win this game because, unless Chris Paul is going to shoot like eighteen of twenty in Game Six, you know the Bucks are going to carry a lot of momentum back to Milwaukee with them. Exactly. Um, here's we should talk about Connaughton. Connaughton is shooting forty six percent from three for the series. <laughs> like he is, at legitimately been a floor spacer, and they're leaving him wide open. He's hitting the wide open shots, and he's playing. I know Booker cooked him, 
but he was playing really good defense. He got uh, he got a stop on a key like Booker mid range jumper in the fourth quarter. I mean, Dylan, this has been the pack like I mean, not the Pat Connaughton series, obviously, but he's probably been Milwaukee's second most consistent player in this series. <laughs> Is that crazy to say? <laughs> I don't think it's crazy at all. Like, I, I think he's been really solid. I mean, he, like, he had to be good. He had to be good. Otherwise, the Bucks were cooked because DiVincenzo, like, was that balance to those top guys. And he was the guy, you know, he's the Joe Harris that's, like, going to fill in those cracks that they need. And, I mean, game two, which they lost, I thought he was great. Like, that was the game where Middleton really shit the bed. And Connaughton was really helping them stay in it. And he was making really solid effort plays on defense. Like, again, you don't you don't expect him to lock guys up. But they kept talking about how they were trying to switch him on to Chris Paul. I'm like, why? Chris Paul's not getting anything on him. And, you know, he's, he's really filled his role perfectly. He's made open threes. You know, good effort on defense. He's diving for loose balls. Like, he's doing the stuff that they really need to be done. And he's definitely a huge reason why uh, they've been able to overcome, you know, the really tough Drew Holiday performances and and some of the tough Middleton games. Like he he's been massive. Like their depth is not good. I mean, we're you know we talked up Bobby Portis last week, and I mean he had a tough game four. Um, like the the depth just isn't great for the Bucks. So having a guy like Conton that can come in and you know give someone a rest and hit some open shots, it's huge. Well, give someone a rest, Dylan. He played 31 minutes in game in game four. Like he would. So the minute distribution, the big three all got 43 minutes, right? And I know you know you can quibble whether or not they're the big three for the Bucks. They're definitely the big three. PJ Tucker, 29 minutes. Brooke Lopez, 19 minutes. Pat Connaughton, 31 minutes. Bobby Portis, 20 minutes. And then Jeff Teague played 10 minutes. Um, or I'll round it up to 11. I mean, they Connaughton's basically the fifth guy for them at this point. It, their lineup is, um, is Middleton, Drew, Giannis, and then Connaughton and Tucker. And I feel like people are... I've heard a lot of people being like, what is PJ Tucker doing out there? PJ Tucker is hitting the glass harder than a motherfucker, right? That's the okay. One last thing. I know I keep saying one last thing. I think this is the actual last thing. The Bucks have been outplaying every team in these playoffs in the margins, right? In offensive rebounds, in steals, or enforcing turnovers, second chance points. Like the Bucks had 17 offensive rebounds and they forced the Suns into 17 turnovers. I mean, honestly, that's the game right there. And sometimes it shouldn't be that simple, but. I think really, Dylan, I know we Bud had a really good game plan, but the Bucks just forced the Suns into, you know, they got a lot of offensive rebounds and and fast break points too. Like they the Bucks have been winning this whole playoffs on the margins. And they just really <laughs> they're really winning on the margins and I think that's the difference right now because the Suns aren't winning on the margins. Yeah, I mean, if you you know, we we're talking earlier about Giannis in that late, uh, late fourth quarter. I mean, as a team, they were just really good on defense, and they were forcing. You know, the Suns like Suns were making bad turnovers. The Bucks were converting them right on the other end. Like that's sometimes it's as simple as that. Like the game can end that way. And of course, it every year this happens when the losing team complains about fouls. 
It's like, how about you get fouled more? How about that? Like, this is not something that's completely out of your control. Like, I don't think Chris Paul, did he have any free throws in this game? I don't think he did. He had zero free throw attempts. Aiton had zero free throw attempts. I don't expect Bridges to. But, like, Booker had nine, Crowder had seven, and that was pretty much it. Like, it, The number of times you can count on Crowder to get seven is next to none. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he's, he's you know a guy that's going <laughs> to shoot threes like you don't he's not going to be he's not going to put himself in position to be fouled and that's not his role like you know you want Booker to get fouled you have to get Aiden fouled I mean Jesus Christ he's like the guy that's closest to the rim those are the guys that get fouled and you know Chris Paul zero free throws like that's you already are at a disadvantage you know the Bucks are going to get more because they get to the rim way more. They have Giannis. They have Brooke Lopez. Like, those guys are going to get fouled more. Drew Holiday. You know, Drew Holiday sucks right now, but, like, he gets to the rim. You know, that whether you're missing or making, like, the getting to the rim is, ha- is massive. And we've talked about that a lot on this podcast. But they already are at a disadvantage because of the fouls. So those extra effort plays are huge. And the Bucks right now just seem more willing to participate in those extra – curriculars if you will and you know that stuff adds up throughout the course of a game in a series that's a that's a really good way to put it like the suns in the regular season i pulled up their team page on basketball reference they got to the foul line 18 times a game that's good for 29th in the league right this team just doesn't get to the paint and they don't draw fouls they don't put the burden on the officials to like blow the whistle and that's the problem right like booker they're, they do give Booker superstar calls. Like, they just said, hey, you know, it's time. Like, he gets away with, some, like, some of the fouls they call on him, like, they're like, oh, you the, they really let you get away with some shit here. But I, I just, they can't get to the foul line. And I think Milwaukee has the edge. And I think this is what, this is like the closing question. You know, I like to ask you whether or not you think, the Bucks will still win, but here's my question, actually. What do you think is more likely, Bucks in six or Suns in seven? Uh, I think Bucks in six because, I, again, I just trust the Bucks more through and through. I trust their best players more um, because, again, even when Drew's bad, he's so good on defense. Like, he's not a net negative, you know. he's He could shoot four of 20 and still have a huge impact on the game. And – you know, if your third best player is like never going to be a complete waste of space, like it was when Eric Bledsoe was there, you know, I just trust that. I trust Giannis. I trust Middleton. And again, I know, I know that one of those sons is not going to be good next game. And the Bucks have the momentum right now, and I trust them much more to win Game Five. And if they win Game Five, they're going to win Game Six. I just, I don't think I trust the Suns roster enough right now to pull out two more games, especially if they have to go back to Milwaukee, which they would. Especially with the way, if Chris Paul was looking better in game four, then I would say, yeah, absolutely. But the way he's looked, again, this is a three-game thing. Like, the way he's looked the last three games, I just don't trust him. I would still say Suns and seven is more likely just because I don't, I think, I trust the Suns. I trust their body of work enough to think that they'll win another game. But this is, they have a young team, and I think this is where the young, where the youth starts to show, like, oh, we have a really young team? Okay, well, that doesn't matter. You know, we have Chris Paul. But who is the only guy who stepped up in the two games in Milwaukee? It was the only other veteran they have on their roster that didn't tear his ACL in game one, is Jay Crowder. 
right? Like he showed up in both in both Milwaukee games and literally no one else except Cam Johnson did. I have to give Cam Johnson a ton of credit, right? I love I was so good in this series, but I think he's been so good in this series, so good these whole playoffs, really. Um, but I think that I still am maintaining Bucks and seven. If I have to be honest, I think the Suns will win game five and then the Bucks will win game six and game seven. I think it'll go exactly like the Brooklyn series did, if I'm going to be 100% honest with you. And it's crazy <laughs> that I trust Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday more than Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Here we are, right? It's what a world we live in. What a world we live in. Um, we're done talking about the series, unless you have anything else to add real quick. No, man, I think we exhausted it. <laughs> I think we did too, but it was good. We needed to get in. I think we really needed to get in depth because there's a lot to break down. But now we're going to stay stick the course. Um, we really should have probably done this after game two. But we and the from like when we started doing this podcast in January, I came up with the Mikhail Bridges All-Stars, right? My favorite role players in the league. Dylan, I think, interpreted a little differently. That's what we're gonna do next. The Mikhail Bridges All-Stars. Dylan, before we start, um, is Mikhail Bridges on your Mikhail Bridges All-Stars? How could he not be? <laughs> I mean, it's an excellent question. Um <laughs> I think we're gonna, we'll just go, I had it laid out like the all-star team, two guards and three forwards for the starters, two guards and three forwards for the bench, and then two wild cards. And I don't know, Dylan, did you have any set criteria that you followed when we were making your uh, McKill Bridges all-stars? So my goal was kind of to get guys that are probably never gonna make an all-star team. Um, and there's a few guys you can maybe debate, but they're, I went for like really, really good role players that are never going to get all-star consideration, but, and also not going to get a ton of praise unless like guys that we talk about throughout the year are going to be on this list. I'll just say that. Uh, You'll, you'll notice some good ones on here on mine. So let's just do, let's just do the guards first. So which two guards did you have for your Mikhail Bridges all-stars? So I went with TJ McConnell and Lou Dort. Um, I really wanted to get Fred Van Fleet, but see that that didn't fit my criteria because I thought he was too good. Because um, you know, I think, I mean, that's that's a guy that I think could definitely be a consistent All Star consideration. Uh, but man, T.J. McConnell, like this past year, was so good. Pretty sure he led the league in steals. I mean, was just insanely good. Really, probably the best like effort player in the league. Um, and Lou Dort, I mean, we talked him up a bunch. Like, you know, just uh, probably the best, like, bad three-point shooter of all time, or one of them at least. Really just incredible defensive player. Um, and, you know, as, as the Thunder get better, I think he's going to be uh, – he's, he's going to consistently make this list, I think. That's hilarious because I had Lou Dort as my second guard as well. Um, TJ McConnell, I'm so mad I didn't think of him. So mad. Actually, I'm going to use him. I'm going to put him as on the bench because he's probably should take one of my players' place. So he is on the team. I can't believe I forgot about him because I love TJ McConnell too. Uh, my first guard, though, is Patty Mills. Mm. And I, I just love the way he plays. You know, we're going to see him show out in the Olympics again. Olympic Patty, one of the best players in the world. And 
he just does everything well. And I think Patty Mills is a role player who could genuinely swing a championship next year. Like, he goes to a team and your backup point guard slash starting point guard spot gets so much better. I just, I want to see where he goes in free agency. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I, I probably should have thought about him. Um, I have like a lot of guards in this list and I somehow didn't consider him. But yeah, he... That's a very worthwhile selection. I have more forwards than I do guards, but you know, I love a I love a good forward. I love a good forward. So, who are your three? Uh, so, I'm a, I assume Mikael Bridges is one of your forwards. Yeah. So, I actually wanted to be kind of traditional, and I ended up giving um, each lineup a center. Mm. So, uh, so Mikael Bridges, obviously, I went with Norm Powell next, um, and then Jonas Valanciunas. Mm. So again, guys that we we love to talk about. I mean, I Valanciunas I felt was a lock because, you know, this this idea came from Zach Lowe's Marcus All All Stars, right? And Valanciunas is basically in the Marcus All role right now. He's you know obviously a little bit worse, but he is incredible on both ends of the floor. But he's never going to be an All Star. Um, so I felt like he had to get recognition in this way. And then Norm Powell, I mean, we talk about the dude as much as we can. Like, one of the best, like, talking about teams that can't get to the rim, like, if he was on the Suns right now, Jesus, like, he would fulfill their quota alone. One of the best guys in the league getting to the rim and scoring, uh, you know, really, really fun offensive player all around. So he definitely deserved consideration for me. So... This is interesting because my your criteria, my criteria a little different. I should have maybe stated my criteria. I went with guys that don't, you know, score a lot. You know, like I went with starters and you'll see who I went with. But I'd go with like more like defense, like three and D guys are very heavily featured on my list. And, you know, that's just a personal preference because, you know, I love Norm just as much as anybody. And I'm kind of kicking myself for not considering him because I did consider him. I'm like, nah, he scores a little too much for my taste. But this is this is why I didn't want to put any clamps on you, because this is a, you know, it's personal preference. And I feel like there's many different ways you could interpret the Mikhail Bridges All-Stars, you know. So my forwards, I went with, you know, three. I had a lot of forwards. I only had one real center on my whole list, actually. And my two forwards were Robert Covington. Of course, you know, I love Robert Covington. And then Kyle Anderson was my other forward. And I love I just love the way both of them play. I think they're both, you know, phenomenal. They're phenomenal 3 and D wings. I think Kyle Anderson, I saw like a stat like compared to what stats he was putting up last year to this year. Like he doubled his points, doubled his like his assists. Like he basically doubled everything and his three-point shooting. I mean, I love him and his defense is incredible and obviously Covington what do I need to say that I haven't already said 75,000 times? I mean, one of the best defensive players in the league can shoot it. I mean, what else is there to say? So any objections to either of those two? No. I mean, you know, again, two more guys we love. And I'll say on Norm Powell real quick that I I did consider leaving him off because the points. Because I, I agree. I tried to get guys that score like below 15 points a game. Um, Cause that, I mean, that's pretty much what a role player is. Like they're never going to be much, but I mean, what else would you consider with Norm Powell? Like, I don't think he's anything more than a role player. So I, I thought he belonged, but I mean, Kyle Anderson obviously had an incredible year. Uh, so, you know, that was a great choice as well. Thank you. Thank you. Who are your first two guards off the bench? So, 
this shouldn't surprise anyone. Uh, Bruce Brown, the first guard. Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, impossible to not put him on there. Just uh, the best role player of all time, probably. So had to get him on there. And then second, because of the final, this playoff run, I think has really given this guy more value. Dante DiVincenzo. Interesting. I mean, just a just a Swiss Army knife. And, you know, again, the Bucks have done fine without him, but I think if they had him, they would have had a much easier run. So I, I had to get him on there. Those are both really good choices. Um, Dante's a really, he's a guy that's master, a jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, he is a good yep. shooter, but you wouldn't consider him like Ray Allen. Like, he's a good defender, but you wouldn't consider him, you know, Lou Dort, right? Like, just to throw another guard out there. So Dante's a really good choice for this. Um, and then I, that's just both of those really good choices. Um, my guards, I obviously I had Lonzo on there, but mm. once you said once you said TJ McConnell's name, I'm like I have to have TJ McConnell because Lonzo I think will once he gets to his next spot will probably put up better numbers than he did last year in New Orleans. Then my other guard, uh, Running Hook podcast favorite, Matisse Thybul. Mm. Just he's a fucking hawk out there, man. Like, just basically Legion of Boom kind of body. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Thibault is perfect type of guy. I probably would consider him more if he was a little bit more offensively inclined. Um, probably would have become a lock for me. But yeah, I mean, definitely fits the that three and D mold very well. Exactly. I mean, well, not the threes yet, but. Well, he makes threes when he takes them. He just doesn't take them. That's that's very true. So, who are your uh, two forwards in your center? So, this shouldn't surprise anyone. Uh, also, running hook favorites. But I went with Keldon Johnson and Jay Sean Tate. <laughs> of I mean, course. I felt like I had to get a spur on there. And, you know, you went with Patty Mills. I went with Keldon Johnson. I mean, Keldon Johnson, um, just love, love the guy. Another very thick-framed guy. Uh, which makes him more enjoyable to watch. And then Jay Sean Tate, man, he's he's going to go down as one of those superstar role players, man. Like he is kind of another jack of all trades, master of none. Like can he can dribble a bit. He can shoot a bit. He can pass a bit. He can defend a bit. Like he's really good at everything, but great at nothing really. Um, and he was, you know, as we talked about with the all rookie pod, like the one consistent guy in that Rockets roster all year. So had to fit him on there. And then for my center, another definitely non-shocker, Rishon Holtz. Oh, of course. I mean, you know, that little mid-range floater. I mean, the, the you know, the pick and roll, the defense at the rim. He's just a really solid player. Not great. But if he's if he's your center, like you're pretty happy. Those are all great choices. I did not have any of them because again, I should have probably had Jay Sean Tate on there. That's a really good one. But you'll see where I'm going with this. Um, so for my three forwards, my first one, Miles Bridges. Do I need to say anything else? You know, I don't think there's. I don't think Miles Bridges. I think Miles Bridges' mom is probably the only bigger fan of Miles Bridges than myself. I. Yeah, I'm obsessed with him. I think he's going to be the next starting power forward for the Hornets next year. He should be. Like, he's really fucking good <laughs> at 21 years old. He, I know he came out as a, a sophomore, I think, so I think he's actually going to be 22 next year. But he's going to be really good for them and really a value pick at the, like, 
13th pick or whatever. My next forward, again, should be a surprise. Love this guy. Thad Young. Mm. Like one of my favorite role players. And then my last forward, Rudy Gay. I had two Spurs on there. Wow. I, I love what Rudy Gay did this year. Just really, like, I think he's going to go to another team and he's going to, again, he's going to be another guy that leaves the Spurs and he can help. Not swing. I don't think he can swing a championship the way Patty can. But he's going to go somewhere. He's going to be productive as hell. Someone's going to, like, a contender can use him. He's not going to go on the court and be like, oh, listless out there. I really want to see where he goes. I think him and Patty, they both have really interesting free agencies this summer. Yeah, again, Rudy Gay was another spur I considered. Um, ultimately locked in on Keldon, but and I'll say about Miles Bridges that I actually considered him as well, but I thought he was too good. Wow. I, I tried to get guys that I really thought didn't have much of a chance of making an all star team. And I I think like I think he could very well become Paul Millsap at some point. Like a maybe a little bit more modern uh Paul Millsap. And Paul Millsap was an all star guy, so you know, I'm maybe thinking too much into it for this list, but that that's kind of why I passed up on him. That's actually really interesting. I never thought of that before. Wow, that's I I actually can see it. So that's crazy. Um, <laughs> what are your two wild card picks? Um, so I went with two more guards, Peyton Pritchard. Mm. I mean, love the kid. You know, of course. As I as I said all year. He's a shooting TJ McConnell. I had TJ McConnell on the list, so I got to have the shooting version of him as well. Of course, naturally. And then this one I had to think a little bit about because uh, post-trade he wasn't as good, but I went with Gary Trent Jr. Mm. I mean, just a guy I fell in love with this past year. And yeah, like he wasn't as good in Toronto, but I mean, from what I've heard about Toronto, like they have a very set system. And if you don't spend the off season there, you're not as good. So I'm not going to blame that on him. He was kind of just putting shots up and wasn't really much in the flow. So that I, I just loved him, though. He was great in Portland, um, and I thought he belonged on this list. And what you said should go to any Aaron Baines detractors as well, because he didn't have a full offseason there. So, you know, he got a lot of hate. I think he'll bounce back somewhere next year and be fine, right? Like, Aaron Baines isn't great. He isn't anyone's idea of Akeem Olajuwon, but... He's a serviceable backup five, and he's going to go somewhere. He's going to be useful. Also, he did have starters expectations foisted upon him, so that wasn't really fair. Um, my two wild cards, my first and only center, Daniel Tice. Mm. Just like, you know, does all the dirty work, does does everything really well, really elite screener. I think he could go to Brooklyn or somewhere like that next year, and he could, again, he's good enough where if he goes somewhere on a minimum, it's not fair. <laughs> right like he's a guy like he's in his prime too like i think he's only 30 so he's relatively young in nba terms and he goes somewhere he could really swing a championship my last guy of course dylan you know one of my favorite players in the whole league Jaden mcdaniels yes like does everything well he i now again this goes against your principle because he like miles bridges could potentially be a future all-star but he's only a rookie we don't know that for sure the sky the ceiling is the roof as michael jordan said um <laughs> do you want to run through your team one more time before we uh before we head out of here today yeah and i'll just say i also consider mcdaniels and it wasn't because of an all-star selection that was holding me back by just uh I, I would like another year of it but um i think yeah he's gonna be awesome for sure so first team tj mcconnell lou dort mikhail bridges norm powell 
Jonas Valanciunas, and then second team, Bruce Brown, Dante DiVincenzo, Keldon Johnson, Jay Sean Tate, Rashawn Holmes, with the wild cards being Peyton Pritchard and Gary Trent Jr. And my team was Patty Mills, Lou Dort, Mikhail Bridges, Robert Covington, and Kyle Anderson starting. And then my bench was TJ McConnell, Matisse Thybul, Miles Bridges, Thad Young, Rudy Gay. Two wild cards were Daniel Tice and Jaden McDaniels. So this is a really interesting thought exercise, right? Like, and honestly, it would be a it wouldn't be a bad NBA article to write. I think I actually might write mine in the future. But I think that it was a good thought exercise for the pod, and it helped us give a little more meat on this bone. Not like we needed any more after the jam-packed game four, but um, Dylan, I think it's time for plugs. Um, I heard you have a new book on the way. Yes, it is. Um, I'm trying to be a little bit more thorough with the editing than the first one, so I'm, uh, I don't want to leave anything out because like the, the first one was rushed. Like the whole process was two months. <laughs> and this one is, is, you know, about seven months, six months in the works. And I'm trying to make sure I don't leave anything off the table because this will be the last like self-development. I'm thinking, I just want to get all, all that out. So I was planning on getting it out this month, but I'm, I'm assuming probably early August is, is a good, uh, good timetable right now. Right on. And while you're waiting for that one, you can buy from one young soul to another, folks. It's $7 for the uh, hardcover. $7.50 for the hardcover. I don't know why this is escaping me right now. $5 for the E-Edition. Folks, listen, I'm just sick of this shit, all right? You don't don't go and buy Dylan's book. I'm just going to put you on the no-fly list, all right? I'm just up in the game here, all right? I'm going to... They're going to have the no-fly list. I'm going to write your name in pen. So they can't erase it. And I'm going to steal all their whiteout, too. So that way, they definitely can't erase it. So your name will be on the no-fly list. You won't be able to fly anywhere. Sorry, buddy. How is that one, Dylan? I feel like that one, I feel like I upped my game again. I feel like I'm back on top here. I mean, that one is, is interesting because that's like domestic terrorist vibes you're giving <laughs> off with that. Like, that's like, like, holy shit, why is this guy on the no-fly list? Like, do we need to get the FBI involved? And it's all for a simple, you know, pocket change, essentially, is what it comes down to. So, I mean, that's, you know, probably the most inconvenient of them yet. I'm moving from uh, intellectual terrorism to actual terrorism. So <laughs> I might get put on a list soon. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, Divine Rhyme, did you guys uh, record it all this week? Um, we had some equipment issues on Will's end. Not to throw mm. him under the bus, but... Uh, I believe early next week we'll be putting out the last Sturgill Simpson. So yeah, look forward I, to that. Yes, that's really good. Um, Lynn Sanity, shout out to Caleb Lynn. We're recording this on his birthday. Happy birthday, bud. Um, really, really valued member of the uh, Running Hook family. Dylan's favorite podcast host, I believe. I'm throwing him under the bus there. So he nodded his head yes. Um, shout out Caleb. Listen to Linsanity. Listen to Circle City Cinema. Zach and I will be recapping the last week of Loki. Battleground, we're going to try to get that back in the rotation. The, the playoffs kind of messed everything up. But Triple Option Pass, still on hiatus. And then obviously Divine Rhyme. Um, yeah, that's everything. So... Oh, also, uh, Facts and Stats with J.D. Hall. I think he put out a new episode this week. So, Dylan, this was a great episode, man. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for joining me, man. Thank you. Thank you.